This is where we pick the best brains in the business world and you, the listener, feel like you are eavesdropping on a really interesting coffee conversation to give you and your business the inside edge. We take a look into the business mindsets of leaders and brands and probe into how they think, feel, learn, manage teams and themselves. We love sharing the knowledge and serve brain food to keep your business mind healthy. To continue the conversation, you can connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. So while our first guest settles in, orders their coffee, grab yourself one and we'll be right back after this. You're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Ardor PFM and our next guest is an expert in leadership and team performance. She is a author of, uh, this is her second book called The Dynamic Leader and I have great pleasure in giving a very warm welcome to Shelley Flett. Hi. Hi, how are you doing? <laughs> Good, Shelley. Good to have you here. Now, your second book, what was the first book? Uh, so the first book was the dynamic, uh, sorry, the direction dilemma, uh, oh. why knowing what you want makes you a better leader. Right. And then that was a natural progression to book number two, the dynamic leader. The dynamic leader. Yes, I get the titles mixed up a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see why. So what's the main difference between the two books? Uh, so the first book looks at uh, having a vision or having a goal in the future that you then uh, make decisions in order to head in that particular direction, whereas um, the dynamic leader is more around this is how I lead a team of people. So it probably goes from self to then um, leadership uh, right. as a progression. And so what, what led you down this path? How did it all happen? How did I become an author? Yeah, well, sort of, well, yeah, what sort of motivated you or inspired you to write a book about this area? So I've been uh, running a leadership program for probably the last three and a half years and through every program that I ran, I felt like I needed to go deeper into detail. But, of course, with only one day, uh, I I didn't have a a way to do that. So the book was really um, created out of running the program so many times and um, just having a lot more depth of the topics and things that I was talking about. So... Um, the book came really naturally as part of the, as a sort of, I guess, the feed off of the um, one day program. Right. Yeah. I'm always curious as to why people write a book as to their motivation. You know, some use it as a business card on steroids, some uh, use it for their brand, some, and that's an interesting one that you've said you've actually wanted a platform to be able to delve a little bit deeper beyond the one day sort of bite sized learning into something uh, a bit with a bit more meat on the bones, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So do you, but like, was there any point that you've thought, oh, I'm going to sort of make some money out of the sales of this book? No, even now people ask me, you know, how many books have you sold? And it's really um, not front of mind. What I want is for leaders out there to get value out of it, to be able to actually take it and implement it. So I'd love to be able to say this is how many leaders have gone and, you know, applied different things from my book and this is what it enabled them to do and enabled them to be as leaders. Yeah. Um, That's what my passion is. Great. Yes, I can. I can hear the passion. So, team performance specialist is that? Is that how you introduce yourself? So, if someone meets you at a barbecue and asks you what you do for a job, what do you say? Yeah. So, leadership and, and team performance is definitely the two words that come together when I'm introducing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that 
I think you need both. I think you need leadership for team performance, and I think you need team performance for effective leadership. So they sort of come hand in hand. Yeah. So what was your background? How did you how did you end up here? Or at the moment, I mean, things can happen in the future, but where you yeah. are right now, what was the training and background that you had? So I actually worked in banking in an operational capacity um, for ten years prior to uh, starting my own business and going out on my own and. Um, the, the real drive for me was when I first became a leader, I was sort of thrown into into leadership and didn't get a great deal of direction. I had a lot of advice. Um, in hindsight, it was well-meaning bad advice. Mm. So, um, you know, it, the intention was really great with um, the leaders that were giving it, but it didn't suit me and my personality and ended up getting me in a lot of trouble. And, um, and so I, I kind of buried myself in a hole and it took three years to dig myself out and to figure out how do you actually lead a team? How do you deliver results as well as be nice to people and create a good culture um, without, you know, burning out or spontaneously combusting, which I think a lot of leaders sort of feel the the pressure and the stress of. Right. So from your own uh, experience, you said that you sort of fell into a hole. It took you three years to get out of it. Is that right? Did I hear that right? Yeah. yeah. So, so how did you get out of it? What were some of the tools that you used besides a shovel, the metaphorical <laughs> shovel, <laughs> yeah. to get yeah, out yeah, of that needed hole? A, needed a backhoe. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I think uh, I think wallowing in self pity. So, I, I think that was a really important part for me. I was really, I think I was really angry and wanted to blame other people um, to start with, and then um, and then I had probably had some really good role models in my life, um, including my older sister, who the book is dedicated to, um, who said, you know, pull your head in, there's things that you can do, there's a lesson to be learnt here. And um, and it wasn't until I decided that I was going to make a lesson out of it as opposed to being a victim because of it um, that I was able to move forward. Um, and then I was just in search of anything and everything that I could um, improve my self-awareness. I studied um, neuro-linguistic programming. Um, I, was, I did as many sort of courses and got coaching and mentoring um, as I could, and um, it, was, it was progressive. I was surrounded by a really good group of people who were there to support me, but those that wouldn't tell me what I wanted to hear but what I needed to hear, um, so... Bit of tough love, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that's wonderful. It's great that you're able to tell your story and share it because I think it's a lot more common than people actually realise. Because most people are not confident or comfortable enough to share that, or courageous enough to share it. So it's wonderful that you've that you can share that. Now, during that time, you mentioned your older sister was a role model. Where else did you get inspiration? Was there any like was it a or Oprah moment, or was there a a particular quote, or was there an author or some other inspiration that that helped you move forward? Uh, There were so many. Um, I think I started watching TED Talks and one that really stands out as being, um, as having a huge impact was Brene Brown and her power, the power of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and how she talked about, um, you know, standing in the arena and, and embracing the courage, like having the courage to, to, push on and, and do it even though it hurts um, and is uncomfortable. And I think because one of the things that I automatically wanted to do was just shut down my emotions and, um, you know, put a shell around me to 
um, protect myself, whereas what I needed to do is walk head on into um, the relationship, emotional people side of things. And um, and Brene Brown was a huge source of inspiration in that respect. Yeah, I think that I think you've picked a good one there. So I think it's one of the most, if not the most, watched TED talks there are. And yeah. she's had she's got a show on Netflix. Have you seen that? I have. I actually saw her live. Uh, she came to Australia about. I think it was probably eight years ago um, and spoke to business chicks and I, I was at that event and what she um, speaks about on Netflix was what she spoke about then. So um, I, I love it. I love the content. It's fabulous. What a, what a great experience. And now you've transferred all this, which I think is really key that you've gone through this personal experience. So when you're then coaching people yourself and facilitating them to go through this this change to be a dynamic leader you can actually speak from first-hand experience which I think gives it that little bit of extra pow power you know a bit of extra bit of extra zoom bit of extra zest to it now as part of the book you talk about your tried and tested nine stage model now I have to ask you why are they why are there nine stages uh, well, I started with three, so I start. I actually started with two. So I started with uh, relationships. So it's like you've got to get the relationships right as a leader, and then at the other end of the spectrum, um, you've got to you've got to deliver results. And so I sort of looked at those as being on two opposing ends of the spectrum. Uh, but the requirement for a leader was to really have a good balance, which is where I came up with the third one around inspiring respect. And so it's actually the third one that, which is the middle one of the model. Um, which looks at um, taking on different perspectives and being curious. And the one where I ask leaders is to sit with silence and to ask more than they um, tell and to listen more than they speak. And and I put it together as three. And then when I went through each of the three components, relationships, respect and results, I found that there was a natural progression of, you know, what are we saying and then what are we doing to actually back up what we're saying. So how are we walking the talk? How are we actually building credibility? And then the third layer of that was around who are we being? What's the culture that we're defining for our team? So it was a little bit of an evolutionary cycle. It started out as sort of three things and then just grew from there. But grew to a point where when I got to the nine, I was like, this is this is actually the fundamentals of leadership. And if you can get these nine things right, then... You can adapt to everything else. You can you can just go with it. Ah, oh, I love it. It's really inspiring. Shelley Flett, congratulations and I wish you continued success with your book, The Dynamic Leader. And if anyone listening wants to continue the conversation with you, they can find your website, shellyflett.com. Uh, they can uh, follow you on LinkedIn and Twitter. Absolutely. And your book is available, I'm assuming, wherever you buy books. Yes, yeah, on my website or Dimix or, yeah, there's Amazon, lots of places. Fantastic. Now, I uh, just want to leave our listeners with something quite inspirational. Do you have a favourite quote or a favourite pearl of wisdom that sometimes when you find yourself in that little bit of hole, we all do that uh, probably more often than we're prepared to admit, is there some phrase uh, or something that helps you move forward? Uh, yeah. Probably the biggest one is we're all doing the best we can with the resources we have and be kind. Be kind. What a nice way to finish off. Shelley Flett, thank you very much for your valuable time today. Thanks, Jackie.
appreciate it. Thank you. We like being kind here on Taking Care of Business as we pick the best brains in the business world to help you grow your business. And we'll be right back. Yes, you're listening to Taking Care of Business right here on Ardor PFM. Now, for the first time in history, this year we'll see four generations of Australians employed at the same time. And according to our next guest, we need to make the most of it. Welcome positive ageing advocate Marcus Riley. Hello, Jackie. Hi, Marcus. Thank you for joining us here. Now, when I first read that, I went, yeah, of course, four generations, first time in history. It's a remarkable statistic, isn't it? It really is. And, and um, as a matter of fact, we've discovered within our own workforce uh, at, at Ballycarra, the organisation I'm involved with, we've currently got five generations represented across our, our workforce, including an 82-year-old assistant nurse. So it's an amazing um, reality at the moment in terms of the changing nature of our workforce. And, and that brings both an opportunity to embrace that, but also responsibility as well in terms of how we really better support older people in the workplace. Yeah, it's a really untapped resource. Uh, I was talking to another guest a little bit earlier uh, that, you know, sometimes in people sort of reach 65 or even I've heard once people reach 50, I've had friends saying, I reach 50 and I can't get a job or I can't get work. And it's such an untapped resource because you can't teach experience. You can teach skills, but you certainly can't teach experience. So what can someone who is struggling... Uh, you know, over 50 or over 65 or over 70, who still wants to contribute to the workforce, what can they do? Well, Jackie, all those points you made are absolutely spot on. And in terms of what individuals can do, certainly one key step is really proactively engaging either with their existing employer, if they have one, or prospective employers about um, ongoing options and, and uh, are ongoing options likely in their existing workplace? Is there an openness to flexible arrangements which are going to be more conducive to them staying in that environment or uh, do they need to be looking elsewhere? So really trying to be proactive as possible which maximises your control over the situation. Um, certainly taking it upon yourself to continuously identify ways to renew your knowledge and, and freshen up your skills, whether they're requiring new skills or updating the ones that you already have. And even if we've been in particular careers or professions for a long time, uh, we always need to be ensuring our knowledge and, and skills are current. Um, the third point would be around what's personally important to you. So what are the, um, the things I'm most interested in? What are the, the passions and the skills that I have? And trying to align those to your employment opportunities, uh, which is going to help you best present yourself to a prospective employer um, and really making the time to, to invest in yourself, but also to undertake that research about where the best opportunities might be, where you can best um, put yourself forward as a, a valuable resource for a particular organisation or a particular industry. Yeah, I think the point about keeping up to date with your skills and training, I see that's something that a lot of older people don't do that well. Uh, and I think training in new areas like learning how how to use social media or what is om omni-channeling or what is a website. doesn't mean you need to learn coding, but at least have an understanding of what's happening 
in the modern workplace uh, and then being able to take part of that conversation. I don't know about you, Marcus, but I hear this far too often uh, when people are contacting me that they're wanting to market something or promote something or do something like that, they're an event or, or a, a product or service, and I mention social media to them and straight away they go, oh, no, I, I, I don't like it. And I say, what do you mean you don't like it? I, and what I find out is they don't understand it and they're not using it. And so I then automatically jump to my perception is they're dinosaur. I don't know if I want to be doing business with them because they're not keeping up to date with that. So what else aren't they keeping up to date with? You can sort of jump to those perceptual conclusions. Yeah, uh, there's certainly a cohort of all, you know, across all different age groups that um, you know, find technology challenging or, or different rates of change with um, uh, that, that become a bit confronting and, and imposing. But with the older age group, particularly the emerging older generation, um, there's a strong percentage are actually quite uh, frequent users of social media channels and uh, certainly very savvy in terms of navigating their way online. So it's really, um, again, that, that flexible approach both from the individual in terms of being open to different opportunities and, and different learnings. As you said, it's so important to continue to upskill and, and retrain. Um, and again, that flexibility from employers and also uh, educational institutions to better foster that engagement with older people. And we often see in the workplace flexibility for people at, at younger points of their their career, whether it's for study, uh, whether it's for family circumstances. Um, we need to see that same sort of flexibility really supporting older people in the way that um, they can be retrained and upskilled, all the types of uh, ways in which they're being engaged. And you spoke at the outset about the value of having that knowledge and, and uh, experience that only comes with uh, with time, that is such an important resource for more organisations to tap into and, and whether it's that mentoring sort of role for people to play where colleagues can benefit not just from that technical knowledge but also that life knowledge and help people develop both professionally and personally. So there's this rich resource for us to tap into. Um, it's about being more flexible in the way we can engage and, and tap into that resource and also being uh, more proactive in the sense of how those opportunities are fostered and what's available to people. Yeah, and I think uh, those that are older in the workforce is to have an awareness of what they're good at. Uh, you know, you can train up and that's sort of stuff that they're not that good, that good at or comfortable with, but they realise they've got to keep training. And then focusing on the strengths, and one thing in, in my experience, and I'm not sure about you, Marcus, but older people know how to network and it's something the millennials don't know how to do so well or they don't go. And a lot of businesses, you know, uh, and promotions and things, a lot of businesses done at networking events and uh, from referrals. And that's something that, that older people do really well, in my experience. It is. And that comes back to the interpersonal skills, which um, are, are at risk for, for the younger generations at the moment who rely so much on digital and other communication. So you're right, um, Jackie, that... Uh, more experienced people do tend to bring that um, uh, better ability to, to react and, and relate to, to people and really uh, network effectively. Um, the, other, the other reality for businesses of all types is that um, majority are trying to engage with an older consumer base, an older um, cohort in the, in the market. So tapping into the knowledge and uh, know-how of older people makes perfect sense to better position yourself to engage with that um, that target consumer base. So that's, again, where people, older, older workers, can tap into their depth of knowledge um, and expertise to, to help organisations 
engage with with the marketplace. And and again, it's being open that you may have been in a particular field for a long time, and it's adapting those skills to the different roles. And again, it might be not so much a hands-on role; it might be more of a, a role where you're sharing and imparting your knowledge either with within your own organisation or or with external parties on behalf of your organisation. It's as you said, it's understanding what strengths you have and how they can be deployed for your benefit and the benefit of, of an organisation. Yeah, well, we keep hearing about the benefits of diversity and every, the board needs to be uh, yep. diverse and you need to have, you know, you need to r- recruit a diverse selection of people. And the diversity, though, tends to focus on gender equality and cultural diversity. And the, the third key, which is often missed out, is the age diversity. And I don't know if people are going, let's not talk about age, but that I think that's really key that you do get that mixture of the young, medium, old, you know, and get that diversity on any group or team. Absolutely. And unfortunately, we have seen um, older workers or, or older people looking to be engaged in those sorts of roles uh, be discriminated against. That's just the reality that um, research has been proving year after year. And certainly last year, we saw uh, statistics where one in four people over the age of 50 were experiencing some sort of discrimination, either in uh, gaining employment or retaining employment. And we're seeing that certainly um, flow through into to boardrooms and, and other sort of leadership roles. So we do need that, that diversity. And um, certainly an older cohort brings a particular set of capabilities. Uh, we've talked about that knowledge and experience and also that the experience of, of seeing different cycles, which we want to know businesses and economies and industries will go through. And there's a great example um, a couple of years ago where the, the stock market saw a you know, first dip in, in quite a while and you had this generation of advisors and um, analysts who hadn't really experienced that before. Uh, that's when you really need to tap into people who have been through those those different issues and they know what's required and, and can provide that calm, informed, um, wise counsel. Again, it's often not to we're in those circumstances, but realise we, we need that sort of wise counsel, that sort of experience and expertise. So it, it's understanding the value of, um, of that experience, understanding the opportunity we have given the amount of people who, who fit the bill in that regard. So um, again, in, in regards to mentoring, we see that often really well promoted and, and used in um, executive levels at that sort of CEO type level. We see it in elite sport. It's spoken about a lot. We need to make that more mainstream in terms of uh, mentors within businesses and organisations at different levels of the organisation so that um, staff and, and others are being uh, receiving the benefit of that. And I think it also provides a really good value add for employers who are looking at different ways of attracting and keeping the best quality people, for people to have access to that experience um, wise colleague as part of a mentoring uh, approach provides great value for, for um, people progressing through their, their career. So again, it's probably just opening our minds a bit more to, to how we can um, how people with different backgrounds, different levels of experience can be deployed uh, to benefit multiple parties. Yeah, now your background uh, he's, is of a, 
enorm very impressive and an enormous global nature. You're a director of the Global Ageing Network. You've been a member of the Steering Committee for Global Alliance for the Rights of Older People. Uh, you've worked for an agency of the United Nations, a focal group for the stakeholder group on, age, uh, on ageing for the Asia-Pacific region. And you're also CEO of Ballycara, a charitable organisation and public uh, institution for older people. How does Australia fare on the global platform, Marcus, as far as uh, ageing and uh, in, the, in the workforce? We, we do okay, but not, not great. And the reality is that uh, most of the developed world is, is sharing the same challenge and the same issues and opportunities at the moment in regards to the ageing of our population. So it's interesting to see um, the different approaches across the world. And, and to be honest, a lot of nations are sort of issues and there's been a lot of discussion about retirement ages and social security and um, we're seeing a lot of countries start to lift their retirement ages um, because they are understanding that they do have the significant ageing of their population and that we need to understand that more and more people are going to be working past that retirement age either out of necessity because they um, need to provide for an increased longevity or by choice because it's the way they want to stay engaged with life. So we are seeing um, you know, some interesting things happening in different parts of the world uh, around ageing workforces and certainly with older people so that they are contributing, uh, better engaging with, with older people so that they are contributing, uh, better engaging with, with older people so that they are contributing uh, in, in the workforce. In Australia, again, we've seen that um, that discrimination be a reality, unfortunately. We also saw some research last year which pointed to one in five employers uh, stated their reluctance to engage with with older workers. So we do have a lot of work to do in regards to better engaging with older people as far as the workforce is concerned. And I think the first step in, in addressing that is really understanding the cultural ageism that goes across our society at the moment, unfortunately, and often goes unrecognised. So it's really understanding what's happening in regards to that ageism, and that will enable us to better address uh, discrimination in the workplace on, on age-related um, perspective and better engage with, with that older workforce. So... We, we do some things okay, Jackie, uh, in comparison to the rest of the world, but there's still a lot more to do. And I think also part of that is um, is learning from uh, other nations and other regions of the world who are doing some good things and, and have introduced some positive initiatives. So uh, given the shared challenges and the shared opportunities, it's really important, I think, that we have that international engagement. So we are learning from each other and where we've got a good story to tell we should be sharing that as well. Yeah well I'm a, a big fan of sharing the knowledge and hopefully let's continue this conversation about positive ageism. I'm a big fan because I'm heading to the uh, to the other side of, uh, of 50 now so uh, I'm, I've got some uh, I've got some skin in the game there Marcus but I think some positive ageism let's uh, let's talk about it and continue the conversation. Really appreciate your valuable time today. We should underestimate the importance of single conversations and whether that's in our family, in our workplace um, or a public one like this, that they're all really valuable as we start to shift that perception of the way ageing is, um, is viewed. So thanks very much for having me on and appreciate your support for Positive Ageing. Yes, thank you very much, Marcus Riley. You're listening here to Taking Care of Business as we discuss really good issues and really good conversations and I hope you're enjoying it as much as I am and we'll see you on the other side of this short break. 
Welcome back to Taking Care of Business, where we speak to some of the best brains in the business world. And our next guest is a leadership specialist. She helps leaders maximise their talent and strengths to achieve extraordinary results. She's a facilitator, coach, speaker and author who works with the C-suite and to create high-performance organisations that delivers a wow factor. I love the wow factor. I'd like to welcome to the show Wendy Bourne. Hi, Wendy. Hi. I love the wow factor. I sort of thought to myself, oh, maybe they were initials, you know, W standing for Wendy, but then I thought, oh, no, there's obviously a silent B in there. (laughs) Now, you've just released a book. Is this your first book? It is my first book. It's called The Language of Leadership. Well, congratulations because no one ever – I don't think people talk enough about how hard it is to write a book. (laughs) Uh, How long did it take you to write it? Oh, look, probably a couple of months. You you write about a chapter um, a a week Mm. and so it's got nine chapters in it. But to be honest, the hardest thing about writing the book was picking the cover. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, I agonised over the cover. The rest of it kind of just came out of me. Right, so. and so what What got you writing a book? Why did you do it? Because I had all of this uh, information in my head that I really wanted to synthesise into um, a structure uh, and a model that can help people to make sense and um, look at leadership from a simple and practical way because we often, in today's world, we just overcomplicate stuff and, you know, everything's got to be so complex that I just thought I, I, I just want to make it simple and practical. It's not easy, but it's simple and practical for leaders. Okay, well, congratulations. It's called The Languages of Leadership. Mm -hmm. Uh, And uh, I love communication. That's my uh, sweet spot. And and language, particularly Mm -hmm. with with this medium being audio, I like it because it's sort of the the theatre of the mind. Uh, You can get sort of a bit crowded with that. But words are really important in creating those mental images. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you talk here about words, actions and behaviours to influence your team, peers and boss. So Mm -hmm. how do you separate words versus actions versus behaviour and then how can you get them working together? Well, uh, that's a good question. It's uh, always important in leadership that our words, actions and behaviours are aligned to each other because our brains are constantly looking for validation of things and if we are if we have a leader who says something but their actions and their behaviors don't align with those words we automatically can see through it so that, and that's just a, a something that our brains automatically do so um, making sure that what we say is aligned to the actions that we do in front of people and we embed those and they, they're behavioural. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely makes sense. So when you're dealing with leaders and oh. you're working with uh, with leaders of teams and things like that, where oh. do you start? Do you start with the words or do you start with the actions? Uh, I think um, words are probably the best place to start because, you know, every every... Um, everything that we do in work or at home 
is through a relationship with somebody else. And, you know, words are the first thing that we do with, through conversation. And so, so making sure that what we say um, is the right thing to say and and in line with what we, so our beliefs are and um, and then our actions and um, and our behaviours. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. really the, the getting the balance right. Mm. So in your experience, Wendy, what are some of the key challenges or the areas that uh, people aren't so good at? Um, in my experience, they I often see leadership teams come together and they have a conversation and they agree to do something and then they leave the room and they go back to their desk and work it in the road or for whatever reason, they don't do what they agree to and they get pressure from their own teams mm. and the people around them and, you know, there's a number of reasons that, that they don't do what they, they agree they will say to. And, and then, you know, there's this mismatch. You know, it'll go out and be communicated to the broader community that the leadership team has agreed to do this. And then all of a sudden, you know, one team is doing either not doing it or doing the opposite to it. So, and then we then we develop these silos in businesses, and you know, everybody's running off doing the same thing, and you know, we're not all working towards the one goal. Yeah. Do you ever yeah. touch on like working with entrepreneurs, for instance, or um, single business owners? And I know this is might sound a little bit schizophrenic, but that 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 the because they're a leader in their own right, that they're running yeah. a business, they're an entrepreneur, they're having to lead themselves. Yeah. Then what language that's almost self-talk? Do you ever go down that mm-hmm. road? Oh, in, so in coaching, I do absolutely. Self-talk mm. is a a big thing that we all have to deal with, and you know, I mean, I in starting my own business, you know, you're always thinking, am I doing the right thing? You know, what if this happens? What if that happens? You know, what if people judge me? What are people going to think? Maybe I'm doing the wrong thing. You know, it's, it comes into everything that we do, male or female. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. What's some mm. of the good self-talk or the most popular self-talk uh, elements or phrases that you would give to an entrepreneur or, 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 or a business owner? Oh, take a breath. I would say take a breath and <laughs> and uh, a big deep breath, and you know keep going one step after the other, right. and just yeah. keep going. And you know, and you know, we all fail, and we all do the wrong thing, and we all learn by that. And you know, as long as you are learning from it, just keep going one step after the other, and just keep going in the direction that you want to go. Yeah. Okay. That's really good advice. Now the concept of influence and you, you touch on this as one mm. of the, I suppose, outcomes or benefits of improving the language of your leadership style mm-hmm. is to mm-hmm. increase your influence. Why do we need to increase our influence? Is it the same as persuasion and influence? Are they the same thing? Uh, why do we need to increase it? And what are some techniques to improve our influence? Um. I think we, we all need to influence somebody in in work, um, whether it be the customer to 
buy what you're selling or, you know, people in organisations to work with you to achieve what you're trying to achieve. So, so yes, it's, it's critical that we are able to influence people. Um, I always think that trust is a, is a really good place to start when we influence people and, and having trust between two people um, helps that process of influencing. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it yeah. does, absolutely, yeah. And, mm. Please, no, go I on. just think, you know, um, as a foundation, we can achieve so much and I see leadership teams that trust each other uh, implicitly can, can then challenge each other respectfully without fear of damaging that relationship. And, you know, I mean, I think Simon Sinek said, you know, people buy from from organisations because they trust them. Mm. And, you know, to me, trust is the heart and the foundation of, of everything. And if we can get that right and we can work on trust, it, it certainly helps us to influence yeah, trust is almost the uh, the word of the moment. Uh, yeah. It's it's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and I think mm. a lot of a lot of leaders, particularly a lot of businesses, take that for granted. I think, and you've yeah. certainly got to earn it. It's almost at the end, not at the beginning. What's your absolutely. view? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I always use the example of um, it's a bit like the trust that you have with your mum. So you know, your mum, you trust your mum generally, most people, and you know, but if you do something wrong, your mum will tell you where to get off in no uncertain terms, yeah. generally. <laughs> and, but there's no damage to your relationship because you trust her and you know she will tell you the truth, whether that's the hard truth or, you know, the good truth. So um, having that foundation of trust along that solid line um, will always help you to be able to have those difficult conversations when you need to without damage to your relationship. Yeah, that's great advice. Now, Wendy, I must ask you, what got you into this field of uh, being a leadership specialist? Good question. I um, went through um, an outplacement process as I was being retrenched from an organisation. And through that process, I had a look at all of the experience that I had had over my career. And when I was at my best, and when I was playing to my strengths. And it was when I was working either on or with a leadership team. And so um, going through that process and looking at that from a whole of career perspective, I thought, well, you know, this is where I really, you know, get my energy from and I can see that, you know, I help leaders and leadership teams to, to shift the stuff that gets in the way of them moving forward. So... So, yeah, so then I started my own business and went from strength to strength, really. And the, your business name is? Uh, so, it's, well, my core business of working with leadership teams is First Team First mm-hmm. um, because I believe that if the leadership team doesn't get it right, the company or the function or the organisation will never reach its full potential. Okay, I love it. Now, if anyone listening here today mm-hmm. wants to f- link up with you, they can find yeah. you on LinkedIn, of course, under okay. Leadership Specialist, I think, is that yep. right? Yep, and that's your website is wendyborn.com.au. Yep. At least your name is easy to pronounce and easy to spell. <laughs> it's brilliant. Yeah, so, yeah. It's, 
B-O-R-N. B-O-R-N. Yeah, we usually get all sorts of, you know, the born identity and... <laughs> That's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah no, Wendy Bourne, really <laughs> straightforward and yeah. uh, and very easy and I love it. And I love that the book, uh, Languages of Leadership, uh, everywhere, books are sold, I imagine. And uh, yeah. congratulations yeah. on your first book. And, uh, and I'm sure a lot of those looking at improving their leadership with their team, their peers or their boss should give it a read. Wendy Bourne, yeah. thank you so much for your precious time today. That's my pleasure, Jackie. Thanks for having me. Always good as we speak to the best people in the business. We'll be right back after this short break. That's the end of another stimulating show. We hope you've enjoyed eavesdropping on our conversation, picked up some tips, learned something new, or at the very least feel inspired. If you just joined us, you've missed a lot, but the podcast will be available on my social media, Jackie Mitchell. Thank you to our worldly and thought-provoking guests. We look forward to your company next Friday. In the meantime, keep taking care of your business mind.